Tēnā koutou katoa, te whānau whānui o te akomanga. Anei te kōrero, anei te whakawhiti whakaaro, anei te kaupapa o te punua pāho, ko tūtera mai tēnei. Kia hiwara, kia hiwara, ata whakarongo mai, puta noa i te ao, tēnā koutou katoa. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast in which I discuss issues and ideas relevant to our course with guests from around the university. I'm the course coordinator Giles Dodson and this is Tu Tira Mai. Welcome back to the Tu Tira Mai podcast series. Uh, last week we had Michael Belgrave. This week we have David Belgrave from Politics. Hi David. Hi Giles. Maybe we could start off uh, just introducing yourself and your um, academic interests. Hi, yeah, I come from political studies and international relations. Um, I've, I've worked at Massey for a long time, on and off, in various capacities. I started working for, as a researcher for Treaty of Waitangi claimants oh, many, many years ago. Uh, then I went and did a PhD at Victoria, and then I've come back and I've taught politics, and I also teach Tu Te Mai up here in Albany. So what are your uh, research interests or uh, academic specialties? I come from, well, political studies, but also international relations. And politics is really about power relationships. People have a tendency to think politics is about institutions like parliament and government and democracy. And it is about those things, but it's, it's also about politics in other places. And so I'm interested in lots of different kinds of politics. Politics can happen in the home. So feminists, for instance, are really interested in the relationship between men and women in the household. So issues like domestic violence are, are a kind of politics. Politics in the workplace is really important. So is your boss making lots of money uh, but paying you minimum wage? That's a political question. Or even in university where I come and with my beard and my tweed jacket and come and talk and people listen and think that I'm some kind of expert because I've got doctor in front of my name. That's a kind of power relationship as well. I get to pass and fail students. I have a certain amount of power over, over them by right of my occupation. And those are the kind of relationships I study as much as say, the relationship between China and America, which is my personal kind of interest. I'm really interested in, in East Asian security, for instance. But I'm also interested in public policy. That is to say, how does New Zealand get things done? How does the government in New Zealand provide services, make decisions, make policy, and then give people what they need in a really kind of basic way. Um, so this question will come across as far less nuanced as the, the uh, explanation that you've just provided, but um, in what ways do you think the study of politics uh, can help us to understand our courses really core concern, um, which is the nature of citizenship and civic engagement. 
how can how can politics help us understand uh, these, I suppose, identities or processes, both as uh, status or constitutional status, uh, and as a set of activities or actions that people are involved in. So citizenship is really a, a fundamental idea in politics, because your status is a, is whether you're a citizen or not. It really means whether you get to be involved in politics in your society. If you're a citizen, you get a say in, as a voter, for instance, or even as an elected official. If you're not a citizen, you, by definition, can't do those things. So by having the status of a citizen, you get to engage. You get to be involved in ways that you can't if you're not a citizen. Now, we can define citizenship quite narrowly as, as that status stamped in your passport um, that gives you certain rights and responsibilities in a legal sense, or we can define it much more broadly as about your capacity to engage with politics and your ability to make change. So... Government might have given you the status of citizenship in, in that, you know, you've got a passport and you can vote and you can do those things, but you might be quite marginalised in other ways. You might be marginalised because you come from an ethnic minority or because you live in poverty or, or, or you might have a disability that means that you can't engage fully in the way that other people can. So it really does depend on how you think about citizenship as an ability or simply a, a legal status. And in politics, we're really interested in, in who has power. Certainly someone who can't be described as a citizen doesn't have power to change, to influence things. And once we start talking about active citizenship, the actual doing, how do we actually do citizenship, then you inherently have some extra power. Just by kind of knowing the skills of citizenship, you are in a better position to engage with government, engage with business, engage with wider society in ways that you, you perhaps couldn't if you didn't know what to do and how to do it. And one, on one hand, um, politics is, as you've already mentioned, very much concerned with the institutions mm. of power. So obviously government, um, business organisations, other institutions within society, but also the law as an institution, for instance, um, which are, for the most part, very impersonal uh, institutions. Does politics, as a discipline, care about individuals? Absolutely. We live in a liberal democracy, which essentially means that individuals get a say in how the country is govern governed through voting. But, and that's the, the democracy part. The liberal part is the freedoms that we have as individuals. 
And these are sometimes described as negative freedoms because, not because they're bad, but they're negative in the sense that it's the absence of something. So the freedom to speak is the absence of someone arresting you and, and carting you off to jail because you've said something bad about the government. Or the freedom of assembly to come and meet and protest something, you know, government action or, or something else that's going on in society. So it's the freedom to stop the police rounding you all up and carting you off. Or the freedom to think what you like or the freedom to express your religious faith. That's all elements of a liberal society that we live in. And those are given to individuals as a right of citizenship. Now, in New Zealand, you don't have to be a citizen to enjoy those rights, but they are associated, nevertheless, with citizenship. The question about the individual comes is, how much power can an individual have? An individual is pretty limited, even a, even a sort of well placed, wealthy, well-connected individual only has a, a limited amount of, of power. It's when we work together with one another in groups, in civil society organizations, in political parties, and en masse as, as voters, that's when we actually have a, a significant amount of influence, when we actually work together using these liberal tools and freedoms in order to make actual meaningful change. So in our course, we conceptualize or we have a, a core concept around this idea of active citizenship, being an active citizen. Um, what are the ways in which political science or political studies conceptualizes being an active citizen? You've talked about some of them then in terms of participating in different kinds of institutions or organizations within society, be it a, a union or a protest movement, a political party and so forth. But you also mentioned earlier uh, the politics of work or the politics of the home, or I'm guessing also the politics of, for instance, consumerism. Uh, am I being an active citizen if I refuse to do the dishes? Am I being an active citizen if I choose to not buy something because it has plastic packaging. Uh, are those forms of active citizenship in the political science conceptualization of that idea? It's a really good question. Where does active citizenship start and finish? I'm not going to give you a clear answer on that. I, I, my gut feeling is that, no, you're not being an active citizenship by... Ref active citizen by refusing to do the dishes because well that is politics in the sense that you're refusing to do something in your household for some reason I, I guess unless you live alone in which case who are you refusing <laughs> taking a strike against oneself taking a strike against oneself but yeah so I would say that you know if you're telling your partner or your or your parent no I'm not going to do the dishes that is a that is a political act inside you know, the confines of your home. I don't think it necessarily constitutes active citizenship, though. But deciding, hey, no, I'm, I'm not going to buy a certain product because that company has a bad reputation or because it's polluting 
the world, I do think that is is more meaningful, a more meaningful statement of active citizenship because you're educating yourself about problems in the world and you're doing something about it. Now, it's a little thing, but little things add up to bigger things. Uh, on the wider question of what is active citizenship from a political science perspective, I'm reminded of a study done in the 1960s um, by two scholars in the United States called Armand and Verber. And they came up with classifications of, of citizenship, of active citizenship, from people at the top who thought everybody should be doing everything to engage in politics and studying the news daily and writing letters and getting involved in campaigns and being the most active kind of citizen you, sh citizen you could be. Which is possibly something of a stereotype version of perhaps how people perceive uh, the kinds of citizenship that university education is trying to inculcate. Absolutely. That's the kind of person that that we're trying to create with Mai, maybe. Um, but Armin and Verba kind of acknowledge that not everyone has the time, not everyone has uh, the inclination to be fully engaged all the time. And they kind of had a middle category where most people would sit in a democracy that was people who were kind of engaged some of the time or a little bit engaged all the time that certainly got out and voted but didn't really, uh, just didn't have the time or the energy or the inclination to be super involved all the time. Are these our political centrists that uh, pollsters and, and political party uh, members and leaders uh, talk about? No, not really, because Armin and Verba aren't talking about your ideology. They're not talking about whether you're left wing or right wing. You could be a, a, a fully active, you know, person anywhere on the political spectrum. It doesn't really matter what your beliefs are. It's more about how involved you are. And then the sort of lowest version was was parochial. Parochial? The lowest version is parochial uh, civic culture, where people just kind of sat on the couch and aren't too involved in politics, don't really care about things on a national level, really just kind of care about local issues in their own community, and, and aren't too worried, probably don't vote. And they're the sort of lowest kind of form. Now, Armin and Verba aren't and being critical against these people, but some people just aren't that involved. And this was done in the 1960s and then done again in the 1980s in a, in a bunch of Western countries, Western democracies. And to some extent you can see these kind of ideas of civic culture and, and active citizenship, but they also came, Armin and came into a lot of criticism for, for, for this being a little simplistic, which certainly is. And other people kind of pointed out, you know, how much you're interested in politics 
isn't necessarily the best determinant on how much you can engage in politics because there are lots of reasons, as I discussed earlier, that that might limit your ability to be an active citizen, be it education, be it time. Do you just work too much to really be too involved? Do you have a disability that limits your ability? So there are a lot of other factors that we probably need to consider when, when we're deciding who an active citizen is and how we get people to engage. Could it also be the case that there are many activities that people undertake in their lives which maybe fall outside of a perhaps political science definition of what active citizenship may be? And I think there of, for instance, volunteer-type activities. Um, Someone may not be particularly engaged in the mainstream uh, daily political life of the society, the country, um, but may be a very active member of community groups, volunteer organizations, um, religious organizations, for instance. How do those kinds of um, very normal, very widespread activities, um, how are they included in our thinking about active citizenship? Yeah, absolutely. All those activities are certainly uh, forms of active citizenship because you're taking it on yourself to be involved in something bigger than yourself. Uh, Some political scientists would say, well, they are engaging in politics. They just don't feel like it's politics. One of the statements that always bug me as a political scientist is saying, when people say, oh, you know, everything was great, there was no politics. Whereas I kind of feel like politics is like weather. It's always present, even if it's pleasant. Even if you don't really think about it or not really worried about it or it's not a real problem, it's still there. So by getting involved in your local surf club or your local rugby club or doing Meals on Wheels is in in a... in a way, a political act, I would say, as a political scientist. Now, the people doing it may not feel that way at all, and that's totally fine. But nevertheless, they're having an influence on the community that has ramifications for power relationships, maybe small, maybe totally benign. Doesn't have to be good or bad. But nevertheless, from a political science perspective, it's still happening. And I would say that's still a really positive impact on the community to say, hey, yeah, I'm going to get involved, even if you don't have any conscious political agenda involved. Does, does the study of politics um, have a way of thinking of those kinds of activities as in some way uh, contributing towards, I'm going to use a buzzword here, Uh, the resilience of a political community. That is to say, um, those taking a role or an interest in the life of the community are by default contributing to the strength or resilience of the uh, political relations within within that community. Absolutely. So one of the bedrocks of liberal democracy, other than the kind of freedoms I talked about earlier, is a a strong civil society, that we have a bunch of organizations uh, 
that are separate from government, that are separate from business, that are out there doing things. And and civil society is an extremely broad term that includes everything from your garage band that you put together and play with on on Saturdays through to the Catholic Church, which is the biggest civil society organization in the world with a billion members. And these organizations may not necessarily have political agendas. They might be just kind of casual groupings, or they might be big organizations out to achieve uh, certain political ends, like Greenpeace, for instance, is a civil society organization that is really concerned with improving the environment. And whether you volunteer as a collector for the Cancer Society, or you're working with your local rugby club, or you're Russell Norman and you're the, the, the head of Greenpeace New Zealand, you're all being involved in lots of different conversations and using our freedom of speech, those conversations kind of filter out through the media and also influence politics as well. And, and when I say politics, I am now meaning the kind of electoral government institutional politics. They're all built on all those debates and discussions and activities in wider civil society. Perhaps before we move on to part two of the conversation, um, which is concerned with stakeholders and and stakeholder engagement, I could uh, ask you, given with your with your political scientist uh, view or lens, given that discussion, when we look at New Zealand society, contemporary New Zealand society, we seem to see a great plethora of community organisations. Maybe there's been a decline when it comes to community sports and so forth, but there are a great multitude of volunteer organisations, of NGOs, of charity organisations, you name it, there's an organisation to represent it. And then when we look at Recent events in New Zealand and in New Zealand society, for instance, the response to the COVID-19 emergency, we see a great deal, a surprising uh, degree of essentially political unity or community unity. Um, And maybe that's reflected in the recent electoral results, election results as well. Um, Looking at New Zealand from the perspective of political science, do you see a strong society, a resilient society, and a well-integrated political culture? You could only say yes at the moment. Certainly the fact that the COVID response, for instance, was dependent on a whole lot of citizens acting in some ways in their own self-interest. People don't want to get sick. But also for the greater good of the community. That was a remarkable achievement, the way that we went through Level 4 earlier in this year, um, and even the more recent outbreaks, 
there was a real community spirit that came through. And certainly that was required in order to have a successful elimination of COVID in the community. So, yes, I would say New Zealand is a, is a fairly resilient and strong society in, in terms of being a collection of citizens who are interested in the common good and working together for the common good in a way that we haven't seen, perhaps, say, in the United States or to a lesser extent in Europe. But I, I would hazard a very slight caution here, and that is that societies can be overwhelmed by consensus at times. And the danger is that we shout down minority viewpoints and alternative viewpoints if we feel threatened sometimes that the need for community cohesion can come sometimes at the expense of of alternative voices. I don't think we've quite got that got to that point yet in New Zealand, but we do need to just sort of remember uh, we need a diversity of perspectives. Um, of course, that's going to be balanced again with the need for accurate information and the and the danger of misinformation, especially on something like COVID. Oh, well, thank you, David, for that account of. Uh, citizenship and and this idea of the active citizen from the perspective of political science. David and I are going to continue our conversation uh, focused on stakeholder engagement in part two of this podcast. Mm -hmm.